Hi, I'm the Virtuous Victorian. Welcome to Virtue Signals, my podcast. Um, I'm going to let the music play, and then I'll talk to you on the other side. I'll see you very soon. Hey, I'm the Virtuous Victorian. Welcome to Virtue Signals Episode 2. I'm here with Ben Sorensen. Greetings. It is such a joy to be here to talk about one of my personal passions, which is politics, philosophy, ethics, morals, and community. Big fan. Love it. All of the virtues. Well, yeah, they are. And I think we've lost uh, the understand the intrinsic understanding or meaning of of virtuous, mm. um, and uh, you know I think that that's something that's really important. And look, I have to say that's something that the the Victorian Liberal Party have been really great at is encouraging us to go. Oh, is that right or wrong? What are my values? Where are they? Oh, that's right. They're they're crazy. I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Uh, we'll say yeah, that look, we are, we are, we are. Um, I'll just say, uh, Ben, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, we've been uh, kind of in communication for a while. Uh, how about you introduce yourself for all my listeners? Totally. So uh, essentially, I am a witty brain for hire comedian, uh, host and uh, writer. And, you know, I, I do a lot of shows around Melbourne and around Australia. And I'm really, really passionate about encouraging people to, you know, be the best that they can be and, you know, in, encouraging and inspiring kindness in a witty, witty and entertaining way. Uh, and, you know, also using our brain to think. That's uh, that's a skill that, you know, we've almost forgotten these days. And I think it's really important for us to uh, encourage interesting conversations to re-inspire us to be part of the community and society that that we are partaking in and uh yeah that's my that's my world so uh i do a range a range of stuff and you know i'm a a really really solid d or e grade celebrity so yeah watch out well definitely glad to have you here i think from looking at (laughs) um looking at your uh, social media presence, it's not inherently political. So um, I'm glad to have you here almost kind of showing a different side of yourself. Yeah, look, I think some of the some of the jokes, uh, some of the text jokes that I put up are, you know, if you squint and tilt your head a bit, they're uh, a little bit left-sided. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, you're right. I think uh, a lot of the social presence isn't so much uh, hard-nosed political. And I think part of it is, using comedy as a tool to go, I'm not left or right, or I'm not Labor or Liberal or Greens or whatever, but here is the piece of information that is being presented. And here's a um, a targeted joke about it hmm. that encourages us to think. Because I think these days it's possible to go, um, I like 20% of you know, this party's policies, but I think they're really off with some of these other things. And through the medium of social media, we're able to provide our elected officials with virtually instant feedback on any stupid or good idea that they have yep. to encourage them to do it more. It's like training your dog. 
<laughs> you know, if you want your dog to do more of that, you go, ah, good boy, good boy, you have a treat. And if you don't, you roll up a bit of newspaper and smack them on the nose. Now, I know a couple of politicians that need a bit more than a smack on the nose, but um, in the um, toxic political world or toxic political culture that we have at the moment within Australia, that's one thing as the voting public that we can do is to really clearly and articulately respond to those ideas, like uh, some of the things that we're going to be talking about on uh, this week's episode. It's really great for us to be able to have that feedback so that they know, okay, well, these two policies, you know, most people agree with these ones, they don't. So that means we need to work on them a bit more. And I would hope, strongly hope that uh, there would be some of that self-assessment on the back end to go, okay, well, now we've got a, a realistic feel for what the voters want as a majority, which is the whole crux of democracy. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a very interesting uh, perspective. Uh, I haven't thought of it like that. I guess uh, I haven't really thought of myself as a professional dog trainer for politics, but uh, that's definitely- Yeah, that's totally it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we'll lead, get into our first uh, segment, which is uh, the first kind of dog we'll be training, uh, David Southwick. Now, David Southwick- <laughs> Wow. Yeah, no, I said it. Uh, David Southwick is definitely a very interesting character. I think a lot of people don't actually know him, um, just kind of, you know, by virtue of the Victorian Liberal Party's uh, almost irrelevance, he can kind of fly under the radar. So very quickly recapping the post, uh, we've got his history. Uh, His dad was a councillor for many years, uh, ran uh, as a Liberal and lost in 1979. Uh, David then had a hand at at it himself in 2004, uh, running as a federal liberal in the seat of Melbourne Ports. He lost. Then he ran in 2006 um, for the Victorian state uh, southern metropolitan region, where he again lost. And he finally scraped together a victory uh, in 2010 for Caulfield, which is a very, very safe liberal seat. Today, he holds the seat with a 0.27% Uh, margin. He won by 205 votes last time. And after uh, Victoria's most recent electoral redistribution, he holds it with a margin of just 0.1%. It's the most marginal seat in Victoria. Now, they should be due for a, um, uh, you know, a clay target shooting venue soon in Caulfield or maybe some car parks or something. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely, probably uh, David's talking to Scotty, uh, get something together. (laughs) No, for sure. Uh, Everyone needs a car park. (laughs) Exactly. And talking about things to brag about, uh, on his resume, uh, David South was was caught out lying. Uh, He called called himself a um, adjunct professor at uh, RMIT, which he was not. And he also claimed to have um, a graduate diploma in marketing at Monash, which he was several units short for. Look, to be be totally fair, it could have been autocorrect. And David was trying to say a junk professor. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that would probably have been more accurate. And uh, you know, lying lying on your um, on your form and claiming that it's marketing is actually kind of how Scotty got his job. So, you know, maybe maybe that's his mentor, yeah. which is another problem that we need to fix. <laughs> yeah, that would definitely not be a great place for source your uh, inspiration or mentorship. Yeah, no, uh, to- totally agree. Totally agree. He also has some really interesting, uh, when I say interesting, I mean messed up views about the abortion safe access zones and uh, the LGBTQIA plus community as well. Yeah. Uh, he was one of 13 lower house MPs to vote against 
safe access zone. So a very small uh, opposition that no one was forcing him to be a part of. So he definitely went out of his way to oppose those. And he called himself a champion of uh, LGBTQI plus uh, rights, uh, despite uh, saying that young children were being corrupted by sex education and uh, voting against a bill that would allow transgender individuals to display their um, identified gender on their birth certificate. Yeah. See, I find all of, uh, see, a lot of these things that David's doing that I think, uh, based on my value set uh, and my, you know, awareness of what makes a healthy community run, Mm. uh, a lot of his values tend to go down the road of really creepy, weird, conservative Christian. Yeah, no, definitely. And Um, I go, look, I think if, now I'm not a huge fan of religion at all, so it's almost like you've got me talking about everything that they tell you (laughs) you shouldn't talk about at a dinner party. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a safe space here. It is. It is. Um, So I think that uh, organised religion has... um, lost its way through the corruption of man. I don't agree with organized religion at all. I like science. That's just me. Um, But to say, uh, I I think religions become about a manipulation of power and a manipulation of a, what used to be a really strong voter group. Mm. So if you appeal to those values, then instantly you've got a chunk of votes and I think this is this is a theme in Australian politics as well, as we see in US politics, uh, having any group that is perceived to be a large chunk of voters, if you appeal to them, you get easy votes. So yeah. you don't actually have to, you know, work so hard at actually doing your job as such. You just meet those minimum value requirements. And I think when we look at religion, um, you know, even in the, the US and Australia, there's uh, a lot of um, a lot of lip service that happens. And then I go, how many of those values that are being communicated are the values of the constituents that actually vote you in? Mm. Are David's personal values? Are the state Liberal Party values or the state party values or the uh, the federal party or over overarching party values, yeah. And is it about just saying whatever you need to say to get the votes, or is that you know, or is there something more sinister going on? And, I, and look, based on how they're voting, um, and some of the you know comments and policy suggestions that they've consistently made, they're very much going after that. Christian vote, and it's almost like big big business greenwashing for the environment. Going, yeah, 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 we bought some trees, we're fine, but we're still doing all this bad stuff. And I think religion is kind of a similar sort of uh, scapegoat for uh, politicians as well. You know, we look at Barnaby Joyce uh, being a a champion of you know ethical and you know uh, Christian heterosexual marriage, and then. You know, he's had a very interesting story around that, but still pushes the whole Christian line. And I'm going, well, you know, that's that's an interesting thing. Is that so important to your entire story? Because I don't expect politicians to be ethical or moral or anything like that, but I do expect them to be transparent and also include everybody that votes for them. That's definitely uh, that's definitely a very um, something probably 
people don't probably talk about enough. I think definitely um, religious uh, voters are a group that um, probably get picked up by the Liberal Party. And uh, it's unfortunate because they kind of feel like the Liberal Party is the only party that represents them, but then they have to accept all these different policies that the Liberal Party also yeah. takes on. So they kind of have to, in the hopes of being represented, uh, buy into all this other stuff that they represent as a party. But then if we, if we look at a lot of um, religion and we look at um, how we, I think the difference is uh, religion and society when it blends as opposed to the core fundamentals of a lot of religion. So a lot of people get upset about, you know, uh, abortion's wrong. Uh, you know, I don't think, you know, you know, uh, I don't think that uh, people should be able to do that because, you know, it's a, you know, it's a sin and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But um, if we use the same methodology in that same 2,000-year-old book that wasn't a fax from heaven, mm -hmm. um, we see that, you know, it's about leading by example. It's about supporting people who are having uh, challenges. And, you know, if abortion isn't, like, we're talking about this directly uh, because of the David Southwick thing, abortion safe access zones. Yeah. But if abortion is a problem, then don't say, no, you can't do that. That doesn't fix the problem that you think is there. Yeah. Find another solution to it. How can you support those individuals to do something in a kind way? That would be more of a positive religious application as opposed to going, just don't get an abortion, game over. Or I'm going to make it difficult for you to get an abortion by voting against safe access zones. You know, so, um, you know, we see lots of other things that can support that sort of stuff. And so with the LGBTQIA plus community, you know, are we, um, you know, we're not about, I, I don't think that religion should be about throwing stones at people. In fact, it specifically says not to do that. <laughs> Yet a lot of uh, religious people and politicians who are either religious or pretending to be have these conversations about ostracizing different groups. And there is no scientific data or research that says that that is the best way to go. So I get really frustrated with that. And I go, the core function of government is not to say the Lord says this. The core function of government is to keep services running in a uh, healthy, safe community for everyone. Exactly right. And I think talking about uh, voter bases and appealing to different voters, that leads us into our, our second uh, segment, which is the newest polling that has popped up. Um, from a company called Resolve, which uh, historically have favoured the coalition, uh, they've showed polling which is favouring the Labor Party. They're saying that the Labor Party now sits ahead of the coalition in primary vote at 35%. The coalition lost five points and now sits at 34%. Uh, the reason why I bring up this polling is because every other polling is seemingly showing that Labor has a massive lead. I think Ray Morgan even today released polling that shows the uh, ALP at 56%, uh, uh, two-party preferred, uh, almost 10 points ahead of the coalition they also showed uh that anthony albanese is picking up a lot of steam uh, that the two uh, preferred prime minister 
sorry, is at 38-31 to Morrison. Now, obviously, still Morrison's ahead because he, he is the prime minister. He's the guy in charge. But it's almost uncommon for opposition leaders to be even close to that figure because they don't get the media attention. They aren't in charge. And to many of the apolitical public, they're almost seen as kind of useless, kind of not really doing anything. Not in, they're not in charge. They're not the prime minister. So it's quite actually exciting for Albanese to be catching up so close, narrowing the gap. The other exciting thing for Albanese is if he gives Scott Morrison enough rope, he'll hang himself. You know, that's a, a unique skill that Scotty has. And he's um, uh, he's shown he's shown his uh, aptitude for that in other roles like uh, Tourism Australia and, you know, a heap of other places where he's sort of backed himself into a corner with plenty of rope to hang himself, metaphorically. Yeah, he's a very successful career at Tourism Australia. Where you got- <laughs> yeah. Then <laughs> running the country. Look, I also find the really interesting thing is when we look at polling, you we we mentioned our two-party preferred Westminster system. So uh my my issue with the two-party preferred system is we are currently getting yes or no to a poorly thought out question. Yeah. So I think we won't see much political change within Australia until we move away from that and end up with a three-party preferred system where we have to actually have bipartisan support to get anything through. We actually have genuine debate because it's not just yes or no. There's a third option available. And we have better questions because we have three separate points of view working together to, you know, make things happen. So I think that's where it's going to change. And the other scary thing about the polling is being two-party preferred, it doesn't take into account where preferential votes are going. Yep. So last time, uh, Clive Palmer spent uh, $60, $70 million on an advertising campaign As he just did. to get pre- preferences that he could leverage for his business to uh, the Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it again this time because it worked really well last time. All the polls don't really take into account all of that. At least, look, at least Clive Palmer is very transparent about his crazy, <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, and and very transparent that um, he's just uh, a a rich guy wanting to get richer and get stuff done uh, for his own businesses. And look, I do not begrudge him that, but I, I do think that there is an ethical issue with him going to water down the votes uh, and then provide preferences to things that are personally benefit him. So I do have a problem with that part. Yeah, I, I mean, I've never thought about that either, but I, I, it just gets me excited for the Australian utopia of uh, the Liberal Party, the Labour Party and the United Australia Party, uh, three-party preferred system. Oh, that scares me. Although, <laughs> look, when we talk about the three-party prefer- preferred system, um, love them or hate them, I actually think the Greens are in a really good position to be that third party. And the point of the third party is not for them to be in power. It's more so for them to make sure that we have better answers to better thought out questions, you know, yeah. and as far as size goes and uh, membership, I think the Greens party is probably poised as a um as a likely third option if they were if we were to go down that road Mm -hmm. um and i also think their viewpoint on a lot of things is quite different to the liberal party particularly uh and uh in a nuanced way different to the 
Labor Party. So I actually think that that might provide us with a more centrist approach uh, to you know politics in a and an evolving Westminster system. Yeah, and I think that's what the Greens are uh, almost hoping for in this upcoming federal election. I, I know that mm. obviously can't form government this time, but then they're hoping to get that balance of power on the crossbench in a minority government. I mean, I also love independence as well. That's also a really important part oh, yeah. of this whole mix as well. Um, but, you know, I, and I think it's really, really hard to design a political system that works and works well no matter who you throw into it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's There's all these different factors in such a nuanced Australian society that you can't really fix or can't even really uh, use such a kind of uniform government system that we've imported from England, uh, hoping that it'll work here. Yeah, and I, I look, I think it's got a lot of good points to it. I certainly couldn't write anything better than that's the Westminster system. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's got a lot of, in its original form it's got a lot of really cool backstops that kind of prevent stupid things from happening however over time groups of uh politicians have watered that down a bit mm. uh and i think that's also part of some of the problems that we're seeing now when we see uh landslide uh wins from parties that's not a good thing either you know, yeah. you want to have that balance to encourage those conversations and to make sure that we get the best for our society uh, that we can. Yeah, definitely. And I think talking about the best possible for our um, country, I think that moves into our next, seg- next segment of uh, Scott Morrison-focused stories. So the next story is uh, COVAX, which probably a lot of people um aren't aware of, or at least anymore, because it was a big deal in the beginning of the pandemic. But uh, the brief is that COVAX is a uh, WHO initiative to give vaccines to uh, nations that can't afford them. We obviously understand the importance of vaccinating everyone so we don't get any more uh, variants of concern. Australia pledged 60 million vaccine doses. And as of today, we haven't given any Um, It's quite a startling figure when you consider that uh, the United States have donated over 193 million. The the EU, sorry, has almost given 300 million and the UK has given 26 million. Australia, zero. And and China's actually um, donating a whole heap as well uh, to the... the, I don't know if it's to COVAX or to other causes, but there's a... uh, In the larger global community there definitely is a strong sentiment that it is very important for wealthy western countries or wealthy countries generally to support some of these poorer countries by helping them with the vaccines and uh the only and this is this is like gets back to toilet paper hoarding rat hoarding (laughs) and rat test hoarding and you know vaccine hoarding by countries all of this is that community mindedness that I think we've lost because the only time a vaccine works is if everybody has one. Yeah. You know, the vaccine's not going to work if it's all, you know, sitting in a warehouse somewhere for a rainy day. I mean, it's just, that's it's not how it works with a communicable disease. Everyone's got to have it. And, you know, we see Scotty at the moment with his uh, supply chain issues going, oh, my God, I, I had no idea. How, how does that happen? <laughs> you mean, you know, my Uber driver isn't wealthy? 
what's that about? <laughs> so, you know, it, it is so important to have everybody in society looked after, which is the core function of governments and also uh, forward thinking. I think I did a, a post a little while back saying, um, Scotty can't see past the end of his nose and given how much he lies, that's a fair bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that having that foresight and that understanding and that empathy and compassion uh, or even just the economic nous to go, the sooner COVID's over globally, the sooner we can get back to stronger economies oh, yeah. as opposed to the must-keep-economy open, which is the most expensive way to go and the most short-sighted. Yeah. So donating to COVAX, I think, is a is a essential thing that we must do. Even, um, even though we haven't committed much, we still haven't delivered it. We have the facilities to make AstraZeneca here, yep. which yep. supports our local economy mm-hmm. and also enables us to meet our requirement because the need for AstraZeneca is reduced now, considering we have... Pfizer, Moderna, and uh, Nova, the new protein one, Novalex or Nova something. It sounds like a butter, but it's not. Um, uh, But it's a protein base as opposed to an mRNA. So, you know, there's there's lots of capacity for us to do these things. Uh, And I don't know if it's a case of Morrison just going, yeah, I'll just make the announcement, everyone will forget about it, and then we don't have to worry about it. And we get the brownie points and don't have to do anything. Uh, and and I genuinely don't know what's going through that man's head, if anything at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you talked, you touched on rats, uh, which before we move on, I'll to our next segment. Not the ones we vote for, the tests. Yes, yes, the tests. That, that, that takes us to our, our next segment of uh, something that's really weird. I I, I only saw this uh, on Twitter. I think I saw this from uh, the Queensland State Minister for Transport. Uh, his name escapes me, but um, there's this weird phenomenon going on now that Scott Morrison is flat out denying as usual, but there are these orders of rat tests after Scott Morrison has told the private sector to get their own. We can't make them free. Uh, we're not going to get them for you, get them yourself, which the private so in, sector. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pause you there for a second. Incidentally, when he said that the rats that uh, aren't free, we pay taxes for them. Yeah. And they are purchased with, with taxpayer money to give to the people who pay that tax. Anywho, continue. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a whole it's a whole ordeal. But uh, Scott Morrison has been using uh, special government powers. Uh, I think they call it the government emergency requisite. Oh, that, no, that yes. Word. Yes, that word. Um, they've been using special powers, basically, to uh, commandeer rapid antigen tests from private orders. I was going to say, so how the system works is rather than the government picking up the phone and going, hey, I'd like to order X, Y, Z, they are doing that, but then also telling business to go and source their own, do their own thing. And then when they order it and then they pay for it, taking it when it comes into the country and going, no, we need that. Thanks. (laughs) So then businesses who have taken orders for it can't. Uh, can't supply them and have to refund. And the domestic market, which we've been told we're fending for ourselves now, is unable to do any of those uh, those things. We can't. We simply cannot buy enough rats uh, to keep ourselves safe now that we're on our own with COVID. Um, this has happened before uh, when Scotty forgot to order face masks. Uh, they had a ban on exporting them. 
and the and customs were really really big on um, uh, not confiscated. It's essentially confiscated and sent to the government any masks that came through PPE stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, in the in the early days uh, of the pandemic, we had. Uh, the uh, health minister and hospitals going, hey, we're running out of masks, we're running out of this, they're deploying the army, this, that, and the other. So uh, with some of my business contacts in my community, I actually found quite a lot of um, TGA and FDA-approved surgical masks, and I was unable to find a buyer for them within Australia simply because, um, yes, there was a shortage, but they didn't. They didn't want to spend the money on. They didn't want to fix the problem. And there was a couple of other guys that I knew that were doing a similar thing, and uh, everyone was waiting for the government to buy them, as opposed to hospitals eating into their their profits doing it. So, when we see a shortage of things, sometimes that means there's a genuine shortage, and sometimes it means that the current government isn't able to line people's pockets properly uh, in order through the proper channels in order to get, you know, the, the stuff we need. And it's really interesting as a privileged uh, privileged uh, Western country that when we look at rats and we look at PPE and we look at all of these things, we don't have a reference point that says, oh, this is a shortage, this is a pandemic, this is wartime, this is an emergency situation. We, we don't have a cultural reference for that. Where if, whereas if you look at you know, um, uh, some other other countries, like if you look at uh, Africa, for example, or Tonga at the moment, like they have an acute awareness of what a proper natural disaster is or a proper crisis. I mean, we had the fires and I still think people in Australia didn't properly understand conceptually how bad that was and what that meant if you were outside of those those zones. Mm-hmm. So I think when when it comes to rats and PV and purchasing, people go, oh, well, I'll just go to the shop and just buy some more. Oh, what do you mean there's none there? So we have this whole learning curve to go through in order for us to get past our uh, previous habit of not needing to plan ahead or not needing to think of other people or not needing to worry about a uh, 300% price increase because there's a shortage of supply. And what Scott Morrison's done by failing to plan, failing to order and just making announcements randomly, is he's put us in that position where this is the first time in people's lives where we've actually had to do what we're told, think about other people, plan ahead, and look at alternate strategies and plans because our first choice and sometimes our Third choice is not available for purchase readily. No, definitely. I mean, there's. It's. I guess it's a, definitely a shock for a lot of Australians. Um, this first for many in their lifetime, such a large crisis that uh, we've all had to kind of learn how to get through, uh, and yeah, experience how different it is, uh, how new it is. Yeah, and look, I know, I know, I'm talking a lot here, and there's a lot of um, you know uh, opinions here. Yeah, and I don't. I don't profess to be right or to be better than any other opinion or thought. My goal with this is not uh, left or right or Labor liberal or whatever. Um, With a lot of what I talk about, particularly in my comedy and, you know, even on this podcast as well, um, is about 
we just need uh, a really good national COVID plan to keep us safe from an infectious disease. Yep. I don't care who provides that. I don't care whether it's Labor or Liberal or Greens. Don't care. I just want government to function as a government to look after the people in a crisis situation like a global plant pandemic or the fires or global warming or you know any of these other issues that have come up. So uh, part of having these conversations, and I feel like the energy of the virtuous Victorian is the same, is very similar to that, is going, it's not about a political party. It's about how do we get the best for our society and how do we hold our politicians to account? And at the moment, it's Scott Morrison heavy because he's just dropping the ball left, right, and centre. Exactly. So he's our, he's our immediate issue. So mm. it's not anti-liberal, it's anti-politicians that suck and they just happen to be in power at the moment. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it definitely is about that holding them to account and not letting them get away with a lot of the stuff that uh, would fly under the radar and fly without media yep. coverage. And I think what the Virtuous Victorians does so well is what we're trying or what I'm trying to do in my little world uh, is to encourage us to hold politicians to a higher standard mm. and to encourage a really positive and healthy culture change within Australian politics, all parties, all independents, everybody. So if we have a really good culture, then our Westminster system actually works much better. Mm. So how do we make sure that we support a move to a more positive political atmosphere and a more positive um, political culture within Australia. And I think that's uh, important to mention in amongst all of this because it is, it's very, uh, it can seem like it is very anti-liberal. And I think there's a lot of people that uh, don't understand the party that they go they they go for because a lot of people go for a political party like a football team. Difference is if your football team loses or has stupid ideas, no one's going to die. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, and you know, it, and I think politics is a little more nuanced than a football team. But um, to those people that go, oh, they just they just hate the liberals or they just hate these guys. No, it's it's more nuanced than that. And I think it's really important to mention that because I think there's a lot of people that, you know, have always been a supporter of X, Y, Z that may switch off when they, you know, mentally switch off when they hear stuff like that. But, you know, as I say to the, uh, to a lot, a lot of people, particularly about the Victorian liberals, I love the idea of having a really strong opposition. doesn't matter who's in power. It's really great to have a strong well thought out opposition party to help keep the party in power in check. Mm -hmm. It's not about popularist votes, but it's about trying to have um, that solid sparring between the two. So the whole system works. And I feel like we don't have that in the Victorian liberal party, you know, um, Dan, Dan Andrews and his team has done a great job in a really tough time, but he's also done, you know, a lot of stuff that I don't agree with as well. Yeah. But that could have been, uh, I, I, I think it's important to have that strong opposition so then you can actually have a choice between two parties as opposed to the party you're ambivalent towards and a bunch of crazy people. 
Yeah, no, and definitely an opposition is an important part of the two-party preferred system because if there's no opposition in the form of the second party, then there's almost no opposition at all to the government. Uh, you know, Correct. A lot of noise from the crossbench or any substantial noise for the public. And touching on what you said earlier about, it kind of, I think that brings up that ethical dilemma of how much, how deserving is a country of their government if they voted for them? And how much of a representation really is a government? If, if we vote in a bad government, is that our fault? Or did we get tricked? Or, or is there some kind of greater force at play that's allowing these uh, bad governments to uh, be in power if, if the people aren't bad themselves? Look, I, I totally agree. That's a great question. And I also, or a great thought piece as well, because when we look at good or bad, they're relative terms. Yeah. They're relative to our values. They're relative to our culture and climate, but they're also relevant uh, and uh, to the benefits uh, that an individual is seeing. So a lot of times we have that, that bias. So we say, oh, uh, America. Is a, is a wonderful example. Yeah, we went to war with these people because they're bad people. Okay, well, what, 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 is, what does that mean? Uh, and lately we found out that means that their country has oil that they want. Um, yes. You know, and, yes. you know, could they have done it another way? Yeah, they probably could have. Do they need to um, simplify everything down to a black and white situation? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the world is very rarely black and white. And I think that as culture or positive culture deteriorates, that becomes more and more apparent. And we need to sort of be more aware and more on top of these things so that we can understand that there are those nuances and there are going to be things that we don't like with the party that we vote for or the politicians that we vote for. And that also doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that every party says, you know? Yeah. Um, so the concept of being sold something is good or bad. And, you know, we look at Brexit in the UK. Mm. A lot of people voted for that genuinely thinking that the money they were paying the EU would go to the NHS. And if you're struggling with your health or you're getting older, you want the NHS to be better funded. And it turns out that that was a trick. Yeah. And we look at Australian politics. There's plenty of tricks that are being used, you know? And that comes back to the political culture uh, and the political climate within a, within a country and a space. If we keep holding those sneaky tricks to account and with how we vote show that that is not okay slowly that system starts to change. And we are unfortunate in the unfortunate and fortunate position that uh, Scotty is so extreme on that side of, let's just make some really cool announcements and tick some boxes and manipulate the media and everyone oh, yeah. and hide the fine print away. That's how, that's just how he works. Um, is Peter Dutton any better? Is Frydenberg any better? Probably not, um, but, you know, hopefully we we won't be in a position where we need to find out. <laughs> no, definitely um, Yeah, so, look, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting and it's important for people to be 
consciously present in the political process as opposed to complacent. And I think once people become more present, that 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 really beautifully articulated question that you had earlier about uh, you know right, wrong, left, right, up, down, you know, is it because we're bad? people or are we electing bad people are we choosing the best out of a bad bunch mm. how do we attract better people does the culture allow better people to survive in there you know so many big questions but i think part of the answer or the long-form answer is uh, be present and be aware mm. of what's happening in the political uh, world around you I think uh, the point of good and bad and uh, these deep ph philosophical questions is a good place to wrap up. Um, <laughs> we definitely got very deep towards the end, which I hopefully yeah, uh, didn't we? listeners will appreciate, but it definitely has been a great chat. Uh, ben, thank you so much for being here. I really, really value uh, your being on this podcast. Before we go, though, I want to ask if you have anything to plug, anything to recommend to my listeners, uh, anything at all, the floor is yours. Okay. Well, uh Thank you for creating a safe, open space where we can have genuinely open discussions about politics and the mechanics of politics mm. and what's and you know and air all of that because uh, I don't think there is enough of that out there in the world. We're told not to talk about it or to get angry or get upset about it, and I think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing is providing these stoic thought pieces daily on the internet. So if you don't follow the uh, Virtuous Victorian, it's so important that you do that and favourite it as well. And while you're doing that, you want to head to Ben Sorensen one on all the socials or bensorensen1.com and you can keep up to date with my uh, witty political puns and uh, some of the other cool stuff that I do. I've also got a comedy festival coming up so you can come and say hi to show. So definitely bensorensen1.com or bensorensen1 on all of the socials because some other person took Ben Sorensen. Well, that, that, both of those uh, pages are equally important to follow. So d definitely make sure you do that. Uh, but without further ado, then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, say goodbye for episode two. Thank you for being on. I've had a blast. I hope everyone else has had a blast. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you.